Due to the graphic nature of this killer's crimes, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of kidnapping, rape, violence, and murder that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. Today's episode features some crimes that are still officially considered unsolved, but we've included the version of events that the evidence indicates is most likely. In the spring of 1984, 19-year-old college student Linda Grober needed a break from studying. Finals were approaching and the stress was mounting. To clear her head, she drove to a local mall in Tallahassee, Florida. But as she browsed the season's latest trends, Linda noticed a middle-aged man was watching her every move. He told her his name was Christopher Wilder and he was a photographer. He wanted to know if she'd ever aspired to model. Linda's shoulders relaxed, relieved. He was just a solicitor looking for his next client, and she couldn't care less about modeling. Linda was a surf girl who'd never been concerned with appearances. She laughed and told him no. Unfortunately, Wilder wouldn't take no for an answer. Instead of leaving to find another young hopeful, he kept staring at Linda. Uncomfortable, she excused herself and headed towards the exit. But as she hurried into the parking lot, she realized that Wilder kept pace. He was following her. Fueled by fear and adrenaline, Linda mustered the courage to turn around and confront the agent. But before she could get the words out, Wilder punched her in the stomach, threw her into the trunk of his car, and slammed it shut. Hi, I'm Greg Polson. This is Serial Killers, a Spotify original from Parcast. Every episode, we dive into the minds and madness of serial killers. Today, we'll take a look at Christopher Wilder, also known as the Beauty Queen Killer. I'm here with my co-host, Vanessa Richardson. Hi, everyone. You can find episodes of Serial Killers and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Last time, we explored Christopher Wilder's many run-ins with the law in both Australia and the United States. But even though he was accused of heinous crimes, he saw little to no punishment, always managing to manipulate his way out of serious consequences. Today, we'll follow Wilder on his killer road trip across the United States and see how his crimes were finally detoured. We've got all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Bottling everything up is never a good idea. It can have some terrible consequences. I mean, think about the subject matter we cover on our show. I wonder how much easier it would be if we normalized talking about negative feelings instead of lashing out when it all builds up. I recently had a session where I faced some things going on in my life I hadn't spoken to anyone about, and when I talked about it with my therapist, I realized how heavy it actually was, and I was able to see it in a different light, and it didn't feel as heavy anymore. When you need to talk, but you want a safe space for that conversation, I highly recommend BetterHelp. Even if you haven't experienced major trauma in your life, therapy is excellent for day-to-day -day positive coping skills and learning how to set boundaries. So if you want to give therapy a try, check out BetterHelp. 
It's entirely online, convenient, and flexible. It's also easy to get started. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Serial Killers today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Serial Killers. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. On March 19, 1984, 39-year-old Christopher Wilder pulled his Chrysler New Yorker onto the highway. He headed north, away from the swamps of Merritt Island, Florida, leaving behind the dead body of 21-year-old Teresa Ferguson. Hours earlier, Wilder had abducted Teresa from a local mall. Then he strangled the young woman and disposed of her corpse in a marsh. She was just one of an estimated six women and children who fell victim to Wilder's sexual depravity. But after witnesses had linked him to the disappearances of racetrack employee Rosario Gonzalez and schoolteacher Elizabeth Kenyon, authorities in the United States were onto him, and time was running out. As Teresa's body sank deeper into the murky water, Wilder sped along the winding roads of northern Florida, intent on kidnapping, raping, and murdering as many young women as possible before they locked him up for good. Vanessa's going to take over on the psychology here and throughout the episode. As a note, Vanessa is not a licensed psychologist or psychiatrist, but she has done a lot of research for this show. Thanks, Greg. While Wilder's classification as a serial killer remains unofficial, his behavior suggests he fell under the category of a hedonistic killer. According to criminologists Ronald Holmes and James DeBerger, hedonistic killers are psychopathic sexual sadists who torture and kill for pleasure. They're also described as the thrill-seekers of the serial killer world. The very act of violence and murder fuels them with a euphoric high and they often can't wait to get another fix. Wilder likely enjoyed abducting and murdering Teresa Ferguson, Rosario Gonzalez, and Elizabeth Kenyon so much that he had to do it again. He was addicted. Unfortunately, Wilder knew law enforcement were close behind. If he wanted to feed this addiction, he would have to keep moving and act fast. Less than three days after killing Teresa Ferguson, Wilder stopped in Tallahassee, Florida at the Governor's Square Mall. Wilder tried to put his mind at ease as he moved through the throngs of people, but his heart was racing. He had no idea how much time he had left. 
Luckily, he saw a woman who made all of those worries fade away. 19-year-old Linda Grober flipped through a rack of clothes inside a store. She was young, beautiful, and just his type. Wilder made sure his camera was visible and approached her with a smile. Using practice lies, Wilder told Linda that he was a professional photographer, and if she let him take a few pictures, he could get her on the cover of Vogue magazine. Linda laughed at the thought. She was a serious student. She had no intention of becoming a model. She also likely didn't believe Wilder was a real agent. To her, he was just a creepy middle-aged man stalking young girls at the mall. She refused his advances and walked away. Even if the rejection caught Wilder off guard, it didn't dissuade him. Persistence was all part of the thrill. As Linda left the mall, he followed after her. In the parking lot, Wilder quickened his pace. It was obvious that Linda was onto him, and if he didn't hurry, there was a chance she could slip away. As she neared her car, Wilder started to run. It was now or never. When Linda turned to confront Wilder, he punched her in the stomach as hard as he could. Then he picked her up, carried her to his car, and threw her into the trunk. After locking her inside, he checked to see if there were any witnesses, but the parking lot was empty. Nobody had seen a thing. Wilder drove out of the lot and headed in the only direction that seemed safe, north. In the trunk, Linda started to scream. To drown out the noise, Wilder jammed a cassette tape into the radio and turned up the volume to max. As the sun set, Wilder crossed the state line into Georgia and stopped at a motel. He rented a room and parked his car as close to the room door as possible. Then he cracked open the trunk and peeked in at Linda. After hours trapped inside the trunk, the young woman looked exhausted. Wilder knew she wouldn't put up a fight. He covered her with a sleeping bag, threw her over his shoulder, and carried her inside. Linda was relieved to be out of the trunk, but her nightmare had only just begun. Wilder dropped her on the bed and told her to close her eyes. Then he lined her lids with super glue, sealing them shut. Next, Wilder hooked Linda up to a homemade torture device, presumably inspired by his childhood visit to the psychiatric ward. It was a bundle of electrical cords. He wrapped exposed wire around Linda's fingers and toes and plugged the device into a wall socket. The device allowed Wilder to control how much electricity flowed into Linda's body. If she made any noise, he shocked her. If she tried to escape, he shocked her. With Linda completely under his control, he raped her. Between these sadistic sessions of torture, Wilder paused to watch episodes of his favorite television show, Dallas. But while Wilder remained glued to his soap, the super glue along Linda's eyelids came loose. Her vision was blurry, but she could see where he was sitting and that the bathroom door was open. Fearing the end was near, Linda made the decision of her life. She ripped off the wires from her fingers and toes and ran to the bathroom. Before she could shut the door, Wilder burst inside and grabbed a nearby blow dryer. He hit Linda in the head as hard as he could, and she fell to the ground with her eyes rolled back. Wilder hesitated, 
unsure if she was unconscious or dead. She was neither. Linda waited until Wilder was within striking distance. Then she reached up and gouged her fingers into his eyes. Temporarily blinded, he stumbled backwards, giving Linda enough time to shove him out of the bathroom and lock the door. Then she screamed until her lungs burned. Afraid her cries would attract attention, Wilder threw his belongings into a bag and ran out the door. Later at the hospital, detectives took down her account and deduced that Wilder was behind the attack. Because Wilder had transported Linda across state lines, FBI investigators took over the case. They showed her a series of photographs of men who could be her attacker. Without hesitation, she pointed at Wilder. It was all the evidence they needed. The FBI started a hunt of their own. Coming up, Wilder fuels his killer addiction. Listeners, looking for something a little spooky to dig into? Then check out the Spotify original from Parcast, Superstitions. Every Wednesday, explore the varying beliefs people around the world fear and follow in this eerie new series. Each week, step inside stories that illustrate the horror, weirdness, and truth behind humanity's strangest codes of conduct. Why do black cats represent witchcraft? What's the point of carrying a rabbit's foot around with you? And how come certain films seem cursed and others don't? Each new episode of Superstitions presents a story that unlocks the mysteries of unorthodox traditions and surreal phenomena. They may seem mystical or illogical or completely insane, but then again, do they? Follow the podcast series Superstitions free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Now back to the story. In late March of 1984, 39-year-old Christopher Wilder abducted, raped, and tortured 19-year-old college student Linda Grober. But Linda managed to lock herself inside the bathroom and scream for help. Worried her cries would attract unwanted attention, Wilder jumped into his Chrysler and sped away. Despite having her eyes glued shut, Linda was able to identify Wilder to the FBI, kicking off a nationwide manhunt. Feeling the heat, Wilder fled west, driving through the back roads and forgotten highways along the Gulf Coast. Thanks to Linda, the police probably knew what kind of car he was in. To be safe, he would have to ditch it. On March 21st, the day after Linda had escaped, Wilder pulled into the small town of Beaumont, Texas. There, he cruised the parking lot of Lamar University, searching for a replacement vehicle. That's when an attractive 24-year-old nursing student, Terry Walden, caught his eye. Terry was married with two kids and had lived in Beaumont all her life. 
Friends and family knew her as a very careful person who was not trusting of strangers. So it was no surprise that when Wilder approached Terry, her guard went up. Wilder pulled up next to Terry and told her that he liked her 1981 Mercury Cougar. When she didn't respond, he tried to turn on the charm. Wilder mentioned that he was a modeling agent and that she was perfect for a job. Terry insisted that she wasn't interested, but instead of leaving, Wilder inched closer. The encounter shook Terry up so badly that she immediately drove home and told her husband. He agreed that it was a close call and assured Terry that she was safe now. Unfortunately, he was wrong. Two days later, on March 23rd, Wilder returned to his familiar hunting ground, the mall. Inside, witnesses remembered seeing Wilder solicit numerous young girls, asking them if they wanted to be models. All of them said no. Rejected, Wilder decided to try his luck elsewhere. But as he exited the mall, he spotted someone he recognized, Terry Walden. After dropping her four-year-old daughter off at daycare, Terry had come to the mall to do some shopping. Convinced that it was destiny, Wilder approached Terry and asked her if she'd changed her mind about modeling. Again, Terry said no. But Wilder wouldn't be denied. He followed her out of the mall. As she unlocked the door of her Mercury Cougar, Wilder forced her over to the passenger seat and got behind the wheel himself. A few hours later, employees of the daycare notified Terry's husband that she had not picked up their daughter yet. He immediately knew something was wrong and called police to report her missing. Meanwhile, back in the Mercury, Wilder headed west. He found an isolated area to park in. Then he stabbed Terry multiple times and threw her body into a canal. Evidence suggests that Wilder didn't abduct Terry for sexual gratification. With police just a few steps behind him, he likely killed her simply because he wanted her cougar. Wilder returned to the open road in Terry's car. For two days, Wilder drove north out of Texas and into Oklahoma. Then, on March 25th, he resumed his insatiable hunt at Penn Square Mall in Oklahoma City. Armed with a camera, he approached 21-year-old Suzanne Logan as she perused the local department store. Unlike Terry and Linda, Suzanne had real aspirations of becoming a model. To Wilder, she was easy prey. He likely offered Suzanne $100 and told her to follow him back to his car. As they walked across the lot, Wilder bragged about all the other models he'd photographed and assured Suzanne that she was in good hands. Wilder forced Suzanne into his car and drove her north into Kansas. There, he checked them into a hotel room where he tortured and raped her. The next morning, Wilder took her to a desert area near a town called Junction City. Under the shade of a cedar tree, he stabbed Suzanne to death. Meanwhile, back in Florida, the FBI had set up a field office to hunt Wilder down. Equipped with a positive identification from Linda Grober and assuming Wilder had stolen Terry Walden's car, they issued a nationwide bulletin. Now, every cop in America was on the lookout for Terry's Mercury Cougar, but Wilder still managed to avoid detection. On March 28th, Wilder pulled off the highway in Rifle, Colorado, and checked into a hotel using a stolen credit card. 
When the hotel clerk processed the credit card payments at the end of the day, the stolen card sent up a red flag. The clerk was instructed to call the FBI. As dawn broke on March 29th, federal agents surrounded Wilder's hotel room with their guns drawn. But when they stormed inside, the room was empty. By chance, Wilder had hit the road early that morning. It was a frustratingly close call for the FBI and, unfortunately, their only lead. Now all they could do was to wait for Wilder to strike again. Sadly, they didn't have to wait long. A few hours later, Wilder arrived at the Mesa Mall in Grand Junction, Colorado. There, he lured 18-year-old Cheryl Bonaventura to his car. She went willingly, blinded by Wilder's lies and her own aspirations of becoming a model. By this point, he'd perfected his verbal trap. While it's unclear whether Wilder was ever officially diagnosed with any mental or personality disorders, his behavior suggests he had psychopathic tendencies. According to criminal psychologist Robert Hare, psychopaths employ high emotional intelligence to manipulate their victims. They're able to talk their way around situations and use the victim's emotional wants and needs against them. We're not sure exactly what Wilder told Cheryl, but we do know that she went with him voluntarily. We also know that she agreed to leave town with him. Later that day, the two arrived at a sandwich shop in a small town some 110 miles south of Grand Junction. There they appeared relaxed and friendly. Cheryl even reportedly told a waitress that they were on their way to Las Vegas. The details of what happened next are unclear, but it appears that for the next two days, Wilder and Cheryl ventured west. Records indicate that they stayed together at hotels in Durango, Colorado and Page, Arizona. But around March 31st, Wilder grew tired of her company. Along a patch of desert near the Utah-Arizona border, Wilder stabbed Cheryl in the chest. Then he left her for dead in the desert. As Wilder continued his journey alone, the FBI warned malls across the country that a serial killer named Christopher Wilder was on the prowl. They even provided shopping centers with flyers of Wilder's name and picture and recommended against holding events where young girls may gather. The Meadows Mall in Las Vegas did not heed their warning. On April 1st, they hosted a modeling competition, promising the winner the cover of Seventeen magazine. The event was a huge success, and girls from miles around came to try their luck. But they weren't the only ones who showed up. Armed with his trusty camera, Wilder brazenly walked into the mall and sat down next to the catwalk. He watched as the teenage girls came out one by one, hoping for their big break. One in particular caught his eye, 17-year-old Michelle Korfman. She was the perfect victim, and after the event was over, Wilder told Michelle that she had what it took to be a professional model and that he could help her get to the next level. Ecstatic, Michelle agreed to follow Wilder to his car to see his portfolio. And then Wilder followed his horrible script, kidnapping, torturing, and raping Michelle. Then he dumped her lifeless body near a Southern California rest stop. Wilder continued west for a day or two, eventually arriving at the California coast. 
But just as his modus operandi was becoming routine, he met a young woman in Torrance that would be altogether different, one that he would connect with on another level. Up next, Wilder turns a victim into an accomplice. This episode is brought to you by Rakuten. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% cash back at hundreds of stores, including headliners, Ulta, Ray-Ban, and Canon. Rakuten is how in-the-know shoppers get the best savings. They shop the brands they love and earn cash back on top of deals during Big Give Week, May 6th to May 13th. The cash back rates are even bigger. I'll be shopping for Adidas and Fenty. You can save on everything you need for summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. Join today for free and get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of Big Give Week's 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God, this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. Now back to the story. Just 18 days after leaving Boynton Beach, Florida, 39-year-old Christopher Wilder was responsible for an estimated six abductions and five deaths across the United States. Over the course of 3,000 miles, Wilder's urge to rape, torture, and kill had only grown stronger. So after attacking and murdering Michelle Korfman in April of 1984, he set out to abduct yet another victim. On April 4th, Wilder headed to the Delamo Fashion Center in the coastal town of Torrance, California. There, 16-year-old Tina Marie Rosico was searching for a job. As she filled out an application in one of the stores, Wilder approached her from behind. He told Tina that if she wanted a job, he could give her one that led to fame and fortune. He was a modeling agent and offered her $100 to let him photograph her. Tina happily accepted. Under the blossoming trees of a nearby park, Tina posed for the camera. At first, it seemed innocent and fun, but as time wore on, a familiar scene emerged. When Tina said it was time for her to head home, Wilder dropped his nice guy routine and got aggressive. As Tina gathered her belongings, Wilder pulled out a large 357 Magnum pistol and pointed it directly at her. He ordered Tina into his car. In fear for her life, she obeyed his every command. For two hours, Tina sat silently as Wilder drove them south along the coast to San Diego. There, he rented a cheap hotel room. Once inside, Wilder attached his makeshift electrical torture device to Tina's fingers and toes. Then he spent the next few hours shocking and raping Tina over and over again. Between these sessions of torture and rape, 
Wilder watched television. But instead of his favorite soap, Dallas, a special news bulletin came on screen. Christopher Wilder, now dubbed the Beauty Queen Killer, was wanted for the disappearances of several young women. He was on the FBI's 10 most wanted list. Wilder couldn't believe the news. He assumed the police were looking for him, but he didn't expect to be connected to so many of the abductions so quickly. Suddenly, the situation seemed dire. He had to get out of there. Wilder untied Tina and told her to help him pack his bags. Struggling to comprehend what had just happened to her, Tina did as she was told. As the two ran to Wilder's car, a strange sensation came over the young woman. She felt like she had to help Wilder. According to psychiatrist Dr. Frank Ockberg, Stockholm Syndrome is a rare phenomenon where victims of abduction bond with their captor. Initially terrified that their life is on the line, victims experiencing Stockholm Syndrome welcome any act of kindness with immense gratitude. As a result, the hostages experience a powerful, primitive, positive feeling towards their captor. They're in denial that this is the person who put them in that situation. And in their mind, they think this is the person who is going to let them live. In Tina Rosico's case, it's hard to know why she was susceptible to this phenomenon, but the intensity of her traumatic experiences may have played a role. Despite being abducted, raped, and tortured by Wilder, she seemed to be grateful for her life. And so she did as she was told. Fortunately, her compliance didn't go unnoticed. The more Tina helped Wilder, the longer he kept her alive. Wilder and Tina returned to the safety of the open road, heading northeast. He had a friend in Canada where they couldn't lay low until the authorities quit looking for them. But they were still a long way from the border, and he still had an itch to scratch. Like any addiction, the longer Wilder waited, the harder it got to control. After six long days on the road, Wilder and Tina arrived in a small town called Merrillville, Indiana. There, Wilder concocted a new plan to satiate his needs. He promised to let Tina go, if she found him a replacement. Tina was in no condition to say no. For a week, Wilder had kept the 16-year-old prisoner frequently raping and beating her. On the verge of a mental breakdown, she agreed to his plan. On April 10th, Wilder and Tina scanned the crowd at the South Lake Mall in Merrillville. Eventually, Wilder settled on a 16-year-old girl with short, dark hair named Donette Wilt. It appeared that, like Tina, Donette was at the mall applying for jobs. Tina approached Donette with a friendly smile. She said she knew the perfect place to work. She motioned Wilder over, pretending he was a manager at one of the stores. Wilder said he had a spare application in his car and invited Donette to accompany him to get it. With Tina beside her, Donette felt safe enough to follow Wilder outside. But once the trio got to his car, instead of pulling out an application, Wilder pulled out a gun. He ordered both Donette and Tina to get into the vehicle. Wilder drove the girls to a nearby hotel and rented a room. Once inside, Tina realized that Wilder was never going to keep his promise. Over the next two days, Tina watched in horror as Wilder tortured and raped Donette. 
But on April 12th, another news report popped up on the TV screen. Except this time, instead of the FBI, Tina's mother appeared before reporters. She begged Wilder to spare her daughter's life. Once again, Wilder flew into a panic. He told Tina to pack their bags as he untied Dawnette from the bed. Then the three piled into Wilder's car and fled. Wilder headed for the state line and crossed over into New York. In an effort to keep Donette under his control, he forced her to take sleeping pills. He was agitated, scared, and desperate to stay free. But to do that, he had to get rid of one of the girls. It was too risky traveling with both of them. So Wilder found a back road that led deep into the woods. He parked the car and told Tina to stay put. Then he dragged Donette outside and told her to march into the forest. Even drugged, Donette realized that she was going to die. When Wilder pulled out his knife, she asked him to shoot her instead. She thought it would be quicker and less painful. But Wilder refused and stabbed her twice in the chest. Then he ran back to the car where Tina was still waiting. But as they drove away, Wilder was overcome with the feeling that Donette wasn't dead. He slammed the car into reverse and backed up to where he'd left her. Wilder's suspicion was right. Instead of finding Donette's dead body, he saw a trail of blood leading away. Somehow, Donette had managed to escape. While struggling to stay conscious, she'd found a road and flagged down a passing trucker. Furious, Wilder got back in the car and sped off. It was only a matter of time before the FBI caught up to him. And in order to cover his tracks, he told Tina they had to switch cars. Luckily for them, he knew just where to find one. A few hours later, Wilder and Tina arrived at Eastview Mall in Victor, New York. He drove slowly, scanning the lot for the perfect ride. That's when Wilder pointed out a beautiful gold Pontiac Firebird pulling into a parking spot. The car belonged to 33-year-old single mother Beth Dodge. She'd gone to the mall to grab some lunch before picking up her four-year-old daughter from daycare. Wilder tucked a pistol into his waistband and stepped out of the car. Then he told Tina to get behind the wheel of the Mercury and follow him. As Tina slid over to the driver's seat, she watched with dread as Wilder crept across the parking lot towards Beth. Before Beth could even step out of the car, Wilder drew his gun and forced her into the passenger seat. Then he got behind the wheel and sped out of the parking lot. Now alone, in the safety of the Mercury, Tina was left with a decision. She could either drive away to freedom or she could go along with Wilder's plan. It's hard to put ourselves in Tina's mindset at that moment, but it's important to remember that she was a terrified young woman who was experiencing a very traumatic event. Ultimately, Tina chose the latter. She followed Wilder to a vacant gravel pit outside of town. There, Wilder marched Beth into a dense patch of forest and shot her. When he reemerged soon after, Tina knew that Beth was dead. It seems as though Wilder wasn't interested in raping Beth at all. He just needed her car. As Wilder and Tina sped off in Beth's Firebird, he assured his captive that she would not meet the same fate. 
In a strange way, Wilder had also bonded with Tina. When they reached Boston, Wilder took Tina to the Logan Airport. He told her that he was going to die, and he didn't want her there to see it. He accompanied Tina inside and bought her a one-way ticket back to Los Angeles, California. Before they parted ways, he asked her to kiss him on the cheek. Scared that at any moment Wilder would pull her back to the car, she did what he asked. Then, as she cautiously walked towards her gate, he told her to write a book about their time together. Although Tina had escaped, her ordeal was far from over. After landing in Los Angeles, she met with authorities and was forced to answer some difficult questions. When they discovered that Tina had assisted in Wilder's crimes, the media blamed Tina for her role. However, it was thanks to Tina's brave testimony that the FBI was able to narrow their search to New England. And more importantly, they knew what kind of car Wilder was driving. The FBI radioed all the police officers in the area, telling them to be on the lookout for Wilder, who was last seen driving a gold Firebird. On April 13, 1984, Wilder drove the Firebird into a service station in Colebrook, New Hampshire. He was just 15 minutes from the Canadian border. As he chatted with an attendant about the best way to get across, a patrol car rounded the corner. Two New Hampshire state troopers spotted the gold Firebird and pulled over. One of the officers jumped out and cautiously approached Wilder. But Wilder dodged the officer and dove into the Firebird. The trooper tried to grab him from behind, but Wilder was too strong. Wilder clawed his way across the console and grabbed his gun. Then Wilder turned the gun on himself and fired two shots. One of the bullets passed straight through Wilder's midsection, injuring the officer. The other bullet pierced Wilder's heart, killing him instantly. It was the end of an extensive manhunt. In the few weeks that Wilder was on the road, he had traveled thousands of miles, abducting, raping, and killing several young women. But on that fateful day, Wilder claimed a final life, his own. While Christopher Bernard Wilder was infamously dubbed the beauty queen killer, many of his victims had never even entered a pageant. Most were young, hopeful women who were taken by the empty promises of a middle-aged man armed with a camera. Instead of landing the cover of a magazine, their beautiful faces were on the news bulletin of every station as a warning to young girls and women across the nation. Be wary of strangers who grant your every wish. They can often be monsters who turn dreams into deadly nightmares. Thanks again for tuning into Serial Killers. We'll be back soon with a new episode. You can find more episodes of Serial Killers and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite Spotify originals from ParCast, like Serial Killers, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. We'll see you next time. Have a killer week. 
Serial Killers is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound designed by Michael Motion, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Bruce Katovich. This episode of Serial Killers was written by Adam Boland, with writing assistance by Abigail Cannon, fact-checking by Anya Bayerly, and research by Brian Petrus and Chelsea Wood. Serial Killers stars Greg Polson and Vanessa Richardson. Bad omens, good fortune, pure luck. Take a closer look at what you believe in and follow the Spotify original from ParCast, Superstitions. New episodes air weekly, every Wednesday. Listen free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.